Welcome back to another episode of the Bright Brains Podcast. This is your host, Isaac, and today my guest is Jack Decker. He is a libertarian who is advocating for an amendment, a state's rights first amendment. So welcome to the show, Jack. Well, I'm glad for him. Uh, happy, happy here. <laughs> I, hey, thank you for being here. So let's talk about yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Um, I'm a 40-year libertarian. Um, I was that after I left the military. Uh, the military is a totalitarian um, organization. Has to be. Um, a lot of people do not, a lot of Americans don't know that soldiers, uh, the Bill of Rights don't apply to soldiers. Um, the uniform, um, in place of the Bill of Rights, there's uniform code of military justice. Uh, but rights that you just take for granted, um, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, um, freedom of religion. Uh, religion is kind of a, a, a privilege in the military. It will not, they will not stop to let you do a daily prayer. Um, all these, um, so when I, I, when I joined the military, I joined the military for two reasons. I want, it was, this is during the peak of the cold war. Um, this is the early eighties and I want to, uh, defend this country and I really wanted to defend our bill of rights. And it was kind of surprising when I got into the military and they informed us with the, that the bill of rights don't apply to us, that the uniform code of military justice does. And I read of what that meant. Very few soldiers actually break out the book and read what the uniform code of military justice is, but it all makes sense. Um, during the Iraq War, Part One and Part Two, they're often to have these reports that would give the location of where they are, which means they're giving the, the these embedded reports. They give, they're giving the location where a military unit is, which is just inviting an attack. Uh, so it all makes sense. Um, but when I left the military, uh, I was honorably discharged. I just wanted to do one stint, and um, I just started exploring that more and more. And the more I read into it, the more um, I just became intrigued by, uh, at that time, uh, libertarianism was not really what it is today. Um, the Libertarian Party was relatively new. Um, but eventually, uh, while living in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, um, I was at a bookstore and the I was having a problem finding a book and the Bookstore clerk said, well, are you a fan of Frank Lloyd Wright, the architect? And so, oh, yeah, I am. Frank Lloyd Wright was from Wisconsin. And he said, oh, here's a book. It's called Fountainhead by Ayn Rand. And it's a fictionalized version of Frank Lloyd Wright's life. And I read it from cover to cover. I was fascinated by it. Um, without sleep. It's, Ayn Rand wrote huge books. <laughs> um, and again, you know, got some sleep, went back to the store and sought out the same book clerk and said, wow, I really enjoyed this book. He said, oh, if you enjoy that one, here's Atlas Shrugged. And when I read the the um, introduction, the preface for Atlas Shrugged, Anne Rand said there were questions that were raised by about her philosophy in Fountainhead. And that's what Atlas Shrugged was. It was just answering those questions in a fictional form, in a, in a story form. Um, I know some people don't like her. Uh, some don't, people don't like her literature, but you have to understand she was from Russia. <laughs> if you know anything about Russian <laughs> literature, there is no happy ending. Reward and peace. It doesn't end well. <laughs> you know, um, <laughs> Russians are very uh, 
Um, I would hate to see what a Russian says is a really dark story because their stories already are dark to begin with. And so I, I, um, I eventually found out about, I, after that, um, I found out about libertarianism and eventually I found my way to libertarian party. Uh, I became director of public relations and advertising for libertarian party of Dane County. I eventually ran for the 76th state assembly district of Wisconsin. I got 20% of the vote, which might not seem a lot unless you understand what third parties normally get in the elections. That's, that's pretty good for a third party. Um, and uh, it just developed from there. Um, when I was in college, I I was developing these thoughts. Um, fortunately, if this thing ever takes off, there's records of how my thoughts progressed because I wrote letters to the editor, to the college paper, to the Wisconsin State Journal, to Milwaukee Journal. And um, these ideas have just been formally over, over the years, 40 years. And I think I finally got a hand on it i think i understand how to make the government better and well this is well we're about to come into an election year and i thought well this is political and what a better time to come up with this and so um i i solidized it and i put it into form uh it has evolved there used to be a section uh one that predated was the first section of all of it in the amendment. And uh, that was basically saying that uh, the federal government cannot um, do regulate or fund what the states can do regulate or can technically do regulate or fund themselves. Um, that caused some problems with uh, people concerned that it might replicate the problems that occurred with the Articles of Confederation. That was our first, if um, your audience is Americans, um, our first constitution wasn't the U.S. Constitution. It was Articles of Confederation. Uh, that's what our um, Revolutionary War we fought under. Um, and there were problems with it. There were the taxation at the federal level was totally voluntary. The states could give what they wanted when they wanted. Uh, the federal government didn't have a, um, a military. The states had their militias. And you read the history about the problems that occurred over and over through the Civil War. Um I mean, and I said, War, the Revolutionary War. And um, it was because of that. And then after the Revolutionary the Revolutionary Wars was over, there was a um, a rebellion called the Shaw Rebellion, S H A Y. And it showed really the uh, more of the weaknesses of the Arcos Confederation. So the founding fathers, who were all still alive, this just happened, uh, they met again. And they came up with the the article, um, the U.S. Constitution, and uh, it was with the understanding that they would reconvene again and come up with basically what we call today the Bill of Rights. Um, they were really okay. We'll, we'll sign off on this with the understanding that we're going to meet again and we're going to we're going to deal with these these right issues. And so, um, the Confederation had a different form of government. It was very parliamentary. It had one chamber. Uh, the president was almost a figurehead. Each state had one vote, so there were thirteen uh, states. Oh, there were thirteen states. votes to change the Articles of Confederation required a unanimous vote. All thirteen had to vote for it. So basically, it's almost impossible to change the Articles of Confederations once it was created. To pass anything required. Not a majority, not a supermajority required nine of the 13. 
And that's a huge bar um, to overcome. And so there, um, but for the first, uh, so the U.S. Constitution came in, corrected a lot of the problems. And one of them was dividing up the, what we call today uh, checks and balances, the uh, three branches of the federal government, which is uh, the legislative, Congress, the executive, the president, and the judiciary, the U.S. Supreme Court. They separated out these powers, uh, made them independent of each other, although they were intertwined with the, I mean, the president can nominate members of the Supreme Court. The U.S. Senate has to approve those nominations to uh, make them part of the Supreme Court. Um, there was a problem in the Congress where it was, um, well, the Southern states the, the, um, wanted it to be where there was just the states were represented. The Northern states was one of the most populous states. Well, they wanted to have it be the population-based. You know, um, they both were, I'll be generous. Um, no, I won't be generous. They were both trying to game the system to their own to their own side, and then we had this brilliant guy. In addition to Thomas Jefferson, uh, Benjamin Franklin, who just came along and said, "Oh, we do both," and that's why we have we took the legislative branch and broke it up into two, further check and balances with the Senate and representing the states and the House representatives representing the population, and like what we have with the Electoral College, we're a republic, we're not a democracy. Um, uh, with the because we're a republic, um, you, the electoral college re reflects this still tension between the states and the large states versus the little states, and um, you know, some people want to have it, the president to be elected directly, a direct vote. Um, I think that'd be a horrible thing to do um, because then to just just being pragmatic. The presidential candidates would only have to run for office in the top, biggest five states, California, New York, Florida, Illinois, and Texas. And they could almost just ignore all the other states. By giving the electoral votes in the way it is, uh, they have to go and actually get the entire country. Um, every state becomes important, especially when the elections are decided by one or two or so electoral votes. So Nebraska does get attention. Not a lot. Um, truth is that the main big main states still get the most attention, but I mean, Iowa, except for like this year, this time, um, the whole primary system starts off in Iowa and then it goes to New Hampshire. Um, and then eventually there's a Super Tuesday. But this was so that the primary system was so that there were small states so that you didn't have to have a ton of, I mean, could you imagine what the first the first primary was California? Essentially, you're just running a national campaign. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the little guy has no chance uh, of, of breaking through. So you have Iowa and you have Louis, New Hampshire where people can gain momentum. And as they gain momentum, well, then people go, oh, well, maybe that's a good guy. And then they start running with it. So um don't want to get off too track with the history, but. Um, now, this is cool, yeah. This is like, you know, the history lesson that you're giving. I want to talk more about the Libertarian Party, um, just sure. to understand the belief. So Webster's Dictionary explains Libertarian as an advocate or supporter of a political philosophy that advocates only minimal state intervention in the free market and the private lives of citizens. 
Do you think that's a, a good definition of what it means to be libertarian or would you? It's a pretty dry definition. How I, how I describe it in just simplest form is uh, libertarian parties, libertarianism um, is fiscally respectful and socially tolerant. Um, it does believe in, libertarians like to say taxation is theft. I call it taxation is extortion. However, libertarians are not anarchists. Uh, we do not advocate no government. We just believe the government should be as small as possible uh, because government costs money. There's there's no free lunch. And every time government passes something that costs money, it comes out of taxpayers. This money doesn't just magically come out of thin air, although the Treasury has been printing money out of thin air lately. Um, but even that printing of money out of thin air, we will have to eventually pay back that debt. Um, it, it's, it just has to be. No one's going to relieve us of that debt. No one's going to forgive us of that debt. It will be repaid. Um, so anything the government does costs money. And that they get that money from the citizenry. And libertarians believe that we should be respectful. I believe libertarians believe that we should be respectful of the money that we take from the citizens, that we should not be taking any more than we absolutely need. Um, I don't believe that government should ever spend any money building a statue to some politician. The arrogance of that and the disrespect to the citizenry is just phenomenal. Um, so that's what, and, and as far as being socially tolerant, it just means you can do what you want to do as long as you don't force your beliefs onto others. Um, basically, you don't rob me. Um, you don't hurt me. Okay, we'll leave you alone. Um, it's not the government's place to be your parents, the, the parent to your children. Uh, parents should be parents to the children. Any, any parent that believes that the government should be parenting their children is a horrible parent. Okay. I mean, you got to take, you got to step up. You you have these kids. It's your responsibility. It's not the government's responsibility, libertarians, to police the internet. That's a, for the, say the old phrase, for the children. No, that's your parents' responsibility. That child does not have to have a cell phone. In fact, that child, if you, I personally believe all girls, as soon as they can operate a cell phone, should get a cell phone. Um, boys, not so much. Uh, the greatest deterrent for rape has been shown to be the cell phone. A woman on a cell phone is very, very, very rarely raped because a rapist will know they'll scream into the phone and the cops will come run. Um, <clears throat> that said, I think parents should be giving their, their kids um, phones that don't have a video camera option to it where they can't play games and so on, uh, text messaging and, <clears throat> and phone calls. It still enables them to text all their friends, to call all their friends, but it gets them off the internet. But that's my feeling. Um, if you're okay with your, your ch children doing that, that's great. It's not my place to tell you how to parent your child. And I don't... and. And I feel that's the same way with the government. It's not the government's place to parent your child or to make the world a safe thing, a safe place for your child. That's your responsibility. That child is under should be under your control, under your care, and you make the decisions. And I don't um, libertarians also believe that that government does not have the answers. That politicians do not have the answers. That bureaucrats do not have the answers. That's that's Hoover says that's that. That's elitism, okay? The truth is, all politicians and all government bureaucrats are just as flawed as you and I.
That's what they are. And they have all the same flaws as we have. And, and to think that they are somehow better than us is just, is just ridiculous. Um, is, is the communist idea that you can somehow run an economy when you don't even understand the, all the moving parts in the economy it is impossible. Um, to control all the parts. They do. They try. I mean, we have many examples where the communist countries have come into existence and they've tried. The Soviet Union was probably the largest one to date. Um, some can say China is. Um, but near the end, the Communist Party absolutely depended on the black market. And the black market is just capitalism without property rights. That's all the black market is. And capitalism is just voluntary exchange um, at its core as basis is two people exchanging items and or services um, voluntarily. Them coming to their own decision, what's, what's this of value? And for someone to come in and say, oh, no, no, that, that, that's more valuable. Well, that's, that's up to the individual. I mean, if I have a farm and I have <laughs> millions of pounds of corn, me train a, uh, even a ton of corn, uh, for a car is workable. It would be probably very good of a of a decision by me. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So, I mean, a third party getting involved in these voluntary exchanges is is it just messes up everything. Um, and then we have now taxation, which is in every form. They're trying to. They were once trying to bring about a vac tax here in America, value added tax. Uh, which is a hidden tax. Uh, you would pay it without knowing that you're paying it because the businesses would pay it at every step in the process. So the more steps of the process there is to make something, the more government can tax it, but the people wouldn't see that. Unlike with your sales tax, you see, you can look at your receipt and going, oh, here's what I pay. Oh, there's my sales tax. You know, unlike um, income tax, oh, here's what I have to pay. Um, so us, us libertarians would like to reduce down government to where... It requires very low taxation. We'd like to get rid of the federal income tax. Um, we didn't have it until 1913. Um, the government, we ran out without it. Um, now for, uh, I don't know if you want me now to go into. Well, so here's a lot uh, you brought up. So sure. as far as the federal income tax, what about sales tax? Would there still be sales tax, like when you buy something at a store? Oh, oh! If a libertarianism were to take over a government, yeah. Um, again, libertarians are not anarchists. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, anarchist wants no government, so there would be no taxation in an anarchist society. But being a libertarian and having really looked into it, uh, anarchy is a childish philosophy. By communism mm -hmm. is a childish philosophy. Only children would like Santa Claus, someone's going to magically do all this for you. Um, with anarchy, you think everyone's... Anarchy is... I would, I would love for the world to be such a nice place that anarchy could exist. It would be wonderful. But I know humans. <laughs> okay, And there are going to be some, some people that are going to use force. And anarchy results in... If you take out government, which is a game, I freely mean it. Government is a gang, okay? But it's a gang that, that it, well, in our country is heavily regulated. 
Um, some people say, oh, this not. No, no, it really is. You you want to know what a gang looks like unregulated, you go to a street gang. That's an unregulated gang. Um, but if you don't have government, well, then it might make strike. Is um, you can um, how do you how do you hold on to your land? Well, you can squat on it, but even if you squat on it, which means sitting on it, um, ownership by occupation, uh, all it takes is a bigger gang to kill you or push you off it, whatever. And so it becomes a war of gangs and um, think Mad Max. Uh, so, yes, government is a gang, but it's a gang that, that is heavily regulated, has been voted by the people. Um, in our country, we have a constitution that heavily regulates regulates it. Um, some people don't understand the Constitution is not a, made to restrict us. The Constitution is re to restrict the federal government. And it is uh, the Bill of Rights. They're called negative rights. Okay. Um, uh, uh, a negative right is something that you are, are inherently you have. Um, a positive right is an oxymoron, I believe. It means that the government is giving you something. Well, libertarians go, well, who's going to pay for that giving? If if the government gives you something, someone else is paying for that something. And that's the, so it's not a right when someone else has to pay for it. It's a right when you don't have to pay. Freedom of speech. No, you know, you don't, you can just speak your mind. Freedom of assembly. You can get together. Um, that's the type of, well, libertarianism will view as um communism is the idea that from each ability to each his needs that's hilarious um because again human nature huh okay from each his ability to each his needs so i will get the same regardless of what i do because my needs are the same well what's the minimum i have to do to get those needs made and so then you have basically communist society. I like calling it, it's a slacker society. <laughs> Everyone's slacking off, doing the absolute minimum not to get into trouble. And that's where, what happened in Russia. Um, it was, uh, you want to, I know a lot of people don't like McDonald's, but McDonald's is a perfect example. When McDonald's came into Russia, McDonald's has high standards. Contrary to what people believe, McDonald's actually has insane high standards. Uh, they, they revolutionized the restaurant industry in America. They revolutionized the industry in Russia. And when they came into Russia, the McDonald's believes in local sourcing, okay, buying locally. And that's just economics. I mean, you know, shipping something from far away is going to, you have to pay for that shipping. So if I can buy it locally, I don't have to pay for as much shipping. They went into Russia and they had lettuce and this lettuce came with slugs in it. <laughs> like, whoa. Okay, whoa. What you slugs. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's not slugs. Like business. <laughs> Dirt. Worms. And, and, McDowell people are like, what's, what's, what? And they're like, well, that's common. And the Russians are like, well, yeah, that's what you just expect. You have to clean when you get home. Um, no, we expect you to, in America, we expect that sleds to be delivered clean. So what McDowell's did is they revolutionized the entire agricultural system in Russia to service their restaurants. They gave them incentives, capitalism. Hey, if you bring us this stuff done this way, like, oh, like, no dirt. <laughs> no slugs, no worms. We will pay you more. And the rotten the farmers are like, yeah, that's a pretty good deal. And so that's how 
McDonald's revolutionized the entire agricultural system in Russia. It's, it's a hilarious, I think it's a hilarious story. Um, that I'm just amazed that someone hasn't done a, a movie about it yet. Because just, yeah. I could just imagine, could you imagine being a McDonald's executive coming in and looking at lettuce with slugs on it and going, you, you gotta be kidding me, <laughs> you know? So anyways, um, that's what libertarianism. I I don't want to get too much into. I can go oh, as far. No. I can I can go as deep as you want. <laughs> you hey, know? this is cool. I, I like the explanation that you gave. So basically, you, you believe that the federal government has too much power in our lives, and that we need to re- restrict it. Um, well, the first hundred years of our country, we ran with um, a very small federal government. Mm-hmm. Um, there were always forces that want to have a. a powerful central government. Alexander Hamilton was one. He wanted a national bank. Uh, there were forces that are anti-centralized uh, power. Thomas Jefferson was for the states to be doing the most. Um, Alexander uh, Jack- Andrew Jackson wanted to kill the national bank. That was part of his campaign platform. Was doing, And he did. When he got it off, he killed the national bank. Um, another force that was knocking down centralized power is the U.S. Supreme Court. The Congress had passed a law President signed it. Supreme Court looking at it. Go, nope, no that that that's not in the Constitution. Strikes it down, and this was what happened for the first hundred years of our country. Congress and president would try to gain more power, and Supreme Court, go, mm, nope, no that, that that's against the Constitution. Then at hundred years, the Supreme Court changed. It had um, in a majority of the justices were for centralized power. And so then the, the I don't want to call them federalists because I don't want to get your, your viewers to learn of, federalists are actually four states, okay? Um, we have weird terminology in this country. Just like National Guard? Nope, that's really a state guard because the, the governor is in charge of the National Guard, but they're called National Guard. Um, federalists are actually four states. Um, there's not really a term for the federal government. Um, pro-federal government because in our culture there really isn't much in it that's not really a force but there were those that wanted a, a central power so they took the general welfare clause which in reading the constitution there's a phrase in there where the states will come to the general welfare of other states okay that's called the general welfare clause and what if you read the founding fathers what they meant was come to the defense of another country um britain attacks new york the rest of the day is going, well, too bad. You know, sucks to be you. <laughs> you know, they all come to defense, the general welfare of that state. Well, the pro-centralized power um, advocates said, well, what are you saying? But that could mean the individual. And the Supreme Court says shot, were shot, for 100 years, shot down this interpretation. But then they got a Supreme Court. They're saying, oh, well, yeah, that we could make that. And there's also the Commerce Clause. The Commerce Clause is just basically to prevent um tariffs between states um uh again articles of confederation each state was just basically an independent little country and they actually had tariffs between each other they were trying to get this between each other and it caused a lot of problems and so u.s constitution nah, we're not having any of that then in the hunt then um well it was all little cracks in the dam that's how the it was never some gigantic overhaul of the federal government is little cracks in the dam that the pro-centralized power advocates 
got and 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 then well once you have that cracking dam you can just break it open and let the floodgates you know the floods happen with commerce clause it was the railroads um the railroads uh are uh, your viewers have to understand it during the revolutionary war the fastest transportation was horse and ship and they were both very very slow weather affected them tremendously uh, roads became muddy impassable you would have you would literally be held up at a what will you call an inn today, uh, which basically was rooms above a, the of basically a bar. Um, you'd hold up there until the roads dried out enough so that your caravan, your um, carriage, could go through, or you could even ride a horse through. And ships took well; it's all up to the winds. No wind, that ship is staying in port. You, you know, we, we don't have any rows, row, rowing oars on ships any at that point. Uh, no slave labor going, <laughs> row, row, which is why they had slaves on board ships. Was So when the, the wind didn't blow, the, the slaves could provide propulsion. Uh, and when the wind did blow, the slaves didn't row uh, the, because they couldn't keep up with the wind when it was pushing hard. Anyways, um, the railroad was this brand technology. You could literally be on a train and go through several states in a day. Um if you read the silliness that science scientists have said at the time of, that women shouldn't be on these trains because it will destroy the, the if they're pregnant, it'll kill the child, or that we can't go about 35 miles per hour because the body can't handle that speed because man was never designed to go that fast. Anyways, it was a new technology, and so that's when the pro-centralized um, power advocates, that's the crack in the dam, say, hey, we need to regulate this. And the Supreme Court yeah, you know, we, we probably should regulate. That was the cracking dam for commerce. Now the federal government can tell almost anything to, they regulate almost every aspect of business now. With the general welfare clause, oh, a famous crack in the dam was Social Security. Um, the original Social Security was only for widows and orphans. That was it. Okay. And that's how they got it through Congress. I mean, imagine the politician. You, you're you're against widows and orphans? What a monster you must be. Cracking the dam. Okay? I mean, us guys, we would get nothing from Social Security at that time. Nothing. Okay? Um, and orphans, people forget that, that today, you, people forget that orphans were part of Social Security. They're not anymore. They're, they're, they're handled by other agencies now. Um, but when it was widows, it was 65, okay? Well, 65 at that time was the average life expectancy of white women, okay? But if you even think of that, they expected half of a white women to be dead. I mean, yeah. this was, this was you reach 65, you're, I'm 61 now. And I have a friend that, of course, I talk to every day. She's 86. She would be considered an ancient in, in the past, okay? Yeah. Um, and back then, um, it goes by fives. You can get into really, you know, statistically. But basically, the average life expectancy of white women was 65. Average life expectancy of white men was 60. Average life expectancy of a black woman was 55. Average life expectancy of a black man was 50. Okay? So, us guys. Yeah, we, we die earlier. <laughs> yeah, we die. I mean, today, uh, today yeah. our life expectancy is what, like 70? So, like, maybe we're looking at five years and then then the dice start rolling against us. Mm -hmm. uh, but we, but the fortunate part about that was is that we fixated that age. Okay. Now we're living longer. Average life expectancy for women, I think, is 
80? 80. Uh, 80 to 85. Um, I mean, on bright side, at least now black men are up to 65, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> but, you know, it's, you know, but it, it's, it's just um, because they fixed that data. That's a problem that we have now today when they should have put it at um, the average life expectancy of whoever they want to be. Uh, at that time, us guys would never have been considered. It would have been just women, but average life expectancy of women would have been at this time. I don't think they would have had the balls to say white women. Okay. Yeah. Um, but they would have said the average life expectancy of women. So it would be about what? About uh, 60. Okay. Um, but then it, that's that as the women were able to get live longer and longer, that that age of eligibility should have gradually increased so that it's only half of the of them getting there. So, but that was the crack in the dam. Widows and orphans, how can you be against this? Are you, you how what type of a monster are you? Um, your sister would be upset because everyone wants to take care of widows and orphans. Um, and again, and for women, it wasn't all women. Okay. If you were married and you were 65, you got nothing. Okay. Which also brought the whole issue of did women, you know, the it could have happened, but they're married, they're 65, they're not doing as well as they could on social security. They kill their husband. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> At that stage, you better be a good husband. Yes, dear. Thank you, dear. <laughs> oh, you're maybe something to eat. How about if I cook from now on? No, you want to cook from now on. Okay, hi, dear. I love you. <laughs> love you. She's not saying bad. Go, here, dog. Here, do you want to have some food? <laughs> but anyways, that's right. how, but that's how centralized power. Now, the federal government, there's almost no check on that. Um, they're involved in every aspect of it. And the reason why we have that is because we have a federal politicians, we have state politicians, we have county politicians, we have municipal county politicians, we have school board members, et cetera. But let me take it back up to the federal level, which is where my amendment uh, deals with. If you're a federal politician, the only way you can affect the, the United States and the world, by the way, is through federal laws. Okay. Well, it's the old, the old um, saying, you know, if you're a hammer, all problems look like nails. Okay. So you're a federal politician. You want to have impact. This is why they want to have more power. This is why the advocates want more power to the federal government, because then they can go and do something. Uh, a politician wants to have impact. All politicians want to have impact. There's no politician that became a politician. Well, there are, there's a few rare examples. Okay. George Washington being one of them, he did not want to be president. He took the smartest person alive at that time, Thomas Jefferson, to convince him to be president and basically thomas jefferson's argument was you you did all these years in the revolutionary war you are the only man that this country will get behind and you're not willing to give four years four more years so they can saudize this country behind you come on and then then if you read about the lifetime of george washington during his first term he died Near, yeah, really, really sick. He's so sick that um, Washington, D.C. didn't exist yet. Um, it was Philadelphia. And they put hay on the streets in front of what was the presidential residence because they didn't want the horses to wake George Washington up because he was sick. And then four years, George Washington was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I am God. Kiss my ass took again the smartest man probably this country has ever had thomas jefferson and went in to convince him 
to, to give him just four more years, just give this country four more years. We're not yet solidized behind everything quite yet. And George Washington was like that. But I tell you what, Thomas Jefferson, smartest man ever, he knew he could never get George Washington for a third term. George Washington was gone. Um, you read about the history. When he came close, everything was packed up and already shipped home. <laughs> the residence was pretty much empty. It was like, I am gone. And, and, but uh, aside from him, we've, um, there's always been contentions. I, again, I don't want to get into the weeds. Um, yeah, yeah, so- I got you. I'll tell you what, let's, let's, um, let's dive into this amendment. So basically, okay. this amendment is to give power back to the states. Yeah. Um, yeah. Essentially, it's um, not technically, not literally. Mm-hmm. Okay. What this amendment actually does is creates a new politician in our country. It creates a politician who's both a federal politician and a state politician. And by them being that, um, they will then decide where they think that I think, well, Maybe we should go through the amendments so that I, yeah, I don't let, jump let's the go gun. through them uh, <laughs> one by one. So, sure. w- what's the name of this amendment? You call it the state's first amendment, first, or state's first amendment? It is um, right now. If this is viewed in the future, <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. Currently, right now, um, there's a uh, America First, okay, and so I thought, well, what, what kind of States first. It's just kind of a plan words. So I call it yeah. states first amendment. So it's just it is a state rights amendment. It used the original name for the amendment was states rights amendment. But I thought it'd be more catchy to call it states first. All right, then. So the first minute uh well, sorry, it's one amendment, but the first section of it is each state gets one vote in the US Senate. That vote goes to that state's current governor. A current state governor can serve as the U.S. vice president, and governors cannot be compensated in any way or form for their service to the U.S. Senate or the office of the U.S. vice president. So it, let's break that down. What Explain this one to me and why you think it is a good thing to do. Okay. Um, I, what I'm doing with Section 1 and Section 2, Section 2 deals with the U.S. House of Representatives in, this, in a similar way. Basically, what I'm doing is bringing the federal government up to the 21st century. Hello, folks. Um, back when this constitution was written, um, the fastest transportation was horses and ships. Okay. You um right now we're doing something that was would be considered magical back to that time. We're having an instantaneous conversation. Uh, where are you located? What's I am in Cincinnati, Ohio. Cincinnati. I'm in Iowa City, Iowa. Okay, but we're instantaneously talking to each other across hundreds of miles, if not thousands. Well, not a thousand, but a thousand. That was not possible back then. That's why we have a U.S. House of Representatives and and a U.S. Senate, because um, well, back then they didn't even think what what we're able to do now. This is just mm-hmm. uh, even the science fiction quote unquote writers at that time would never even conceive of the technology we have now. Um, So each state elected two um, U.S. senators. Actually, at that time, it was the state Senate that that elected uh, the U.S. senators and sent them to Congress. The population voted for um, the House of Representatives. That was a direct vote, a direct democracy to have them. And then they would uh, have to understand back at that time, 
this country was an agricultural um, country. Um, yeah, farming. farming was farming was like oh, I forget it was like something that almost as like ninety eight percent of everyone was involved in agriculture one way or the other. There's very little industry here in this country. It's mainly located in the north, but it was it, the industrial age had not yet hit America yet. Okay. So what happened was is that you had uh, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, uh, many, many members of the U.S. Senate and U.S. House of Representatives were farmers, okay, mm-hmm. and tell and they did they didn't get paid anything initially. I don't believe the president I know didn't get paid anything. Um, George Washington went into debt. George Washington left office almost poor um, because he felt he knew that he was setting a president for all future all future presidents so he purposely he was taking very conscious of everything he did um and he wanted to have the the president have dignity and so he spent his own money um so that the, the public would respect the office of the presidency so anyways um they all went home they had to be back home they had to go back and take care of the farms that's how they made their money so what happened was is that um when, out, when the harvest happened, after the harvest was done, okay, and notice the agricultural year was over. Um, there, were, there were other aspects, but basically the bulk of it was done. The crops were brought in. They were harvested. The cattle were slaughtered uh, because you to carry cattle over the winter meant you had to have grain, et cetera, so you would slaughter them. Um, we have preserved a lot of meat back then. You know, salt was a heavy part of your diet. Um, but then the, with the members that were elected to go to Congress, with the they would then travel, try to get to Washington D.C. before the roads became too muddy. Um, in other words, fall, um, and also mainly before they got frozen over, which made them even harder to pass because they didn't have paved roads back then. They didn't have gravel roads back then. It was all mud. Uh, when you were in a city, if you were lucky, it was a really big city. You might have brick roads. Okay, everything was covered in shit. Horseshit. Okay. It was yeah. a horrible, horrible time to live. Um, but they would then, they were literally is called winter. They would winter in Washington, D.C. They'd get into Washington, D.C., they could get their homes, and then everyone hunkered down for the winter. Well, that's so then they all met in Congress. Okay, now all the legislation, all the bills that were going to be passed, um, all the reviews, all the committees and subcommittee meetings were all happened during winter, but then spring came. And then is well, are the roads, once the roads became passable, well, the session, okay, as it used to be called now, is there's <laughs> there's no stop to it. Um, the session and con- the congressional session would end so that all the members could go back to their farms and take care of the harps. And that was the end of the federal year. Um, today, again, we have technology that doesn't, you don't have to do that. Um, there, There's technology today that you and I could be working on the same Word document in law. Lo- live i make a change you would instantaneously see the change i'm making to that document as we're writing you and i could agree there's some <laughs> there's some hardware that office people use that you um everyone has to agree or the head person has to agree and then that change goes from red to black in other words this is made part of the document that was not possible back then it is possible now all i'm doing is basically enabling congress to tell commute to work they don't have to be in washington dc and but then we also then that brings about another issue. 
Okay, well, let's say we just bring about telecommunication. The Congress can telecommute to work. Well, now you have QS senators sitting in their state, and there's a governor in their state. Well, when you think who is the who represents your state, everyone says governor, not the U.S. senators. Okay, governor, you represent a state, and any I don't know of a single governor that has ever said they do not represent the state. That they're the governor of okay they have to take in all the state issues and all these governors pay close attention to what the federal government does because whatever they do is going to affect their state you that's why you have governors talking on federal legislation that's coming through going hey wait a second wait a second that's going to affect our state in this way this is wrong okay so it's not the idea that governors are blind to what the federal government does or they're not interested in what the federal government does they're acutely interested in what the federal government does because of how much it has an impact on their state and what that will mean, um, what funds they get or lack they don't get, um, how a certain bill that, see, the problem with federal government is, is one size fits all. Well, these states are, unlike in Europe, okay, you look at Europe, <laughs> France is pretty much the same, okay? Uh, Belgium is pretty much the same. American, we're not. <laughs> We, we literally have swamps, snow-covered mountains. We have deserts. Uh, we have, I mean, in Florida, they have hurricanes. In the Midwest, we have tornadoes. In the On the West Coast, they have earthquakes. The truth of the matter is, I mean, we don't like saying it, but the truth of the matter is, Florida doesn't give a shit about tornadoes or earthquakes. Midwesterners don't give a shit about hurricanes or earthquakes. West Coasters don't give a shit about her tornadoes or hurricanes, okay? They are all concerned about their own little problems that they have. That's what the states are focused on, their own little problems. And, but the federal government has this one-size-fits-all, okay? And that rarely ever works out, okay? Um, there's For men, we have one-size-fits-all socks, okay, and shirts. I have a brother six foot eight. <laughs> one size does not fit all, okay? Yeah. <laughs> he, has, he, has, he has shoes that I could canoe in. Okay, <laughs> you know. Mm. Um, so what I'm, what I, what happens in, in my situation is one: we don't. If you're the U.S. centers are already back in their state, they're already telecommuting. Well, why do we have them there? Okay, why not? Why not just give their votes to the to the governor? Okay. Mm -hmm. um, so we take the uh, U.S. Senate. We reduce it from a hundred to fifty, and they're all the current governors. Okay. Um, and then if you want to go through the other sections, parts of it, there are parts of the section. Hey, sorry to interrupt, but are you looking to reach a dynamic and engaged audience of curious minds? Well, look no further. Bright Brains Podcast is the perfect platform to showcase your business or product. You'll be able to reach a diverse, intelligent audience and engage with listeners passionate about personal development, technology, and more. Elevate your brand through thought-provoking discussions. Don't miss this opportunity to promote your business on one of the fastest-growing podcasts in the market. Contact us today to discuss advertising options and elevate your brand to the next level. Contact us at brightbrainspod at gmail.com to secure your advertising spot on Bright Brains today. Again, that's Bright Brains with a Z, pod, P-O-D, at gmail.com. Now, 
back to the podcast. Yeah, yeah. So basically what you're saying is just get rid of the U.S. Senate and just replace that function with the governors. We don't get rid of the U.S. Senate. We just re- we the, we just get we just get we just replace the two U.S. senators each state sends to the Senate with with the governors with the governor. So the Senate uh, still exists. It goes from 100 members to 50, and that's all the the members of uh, that's all the governors combined. If we right, have more that, states, we'll have more governors. Gotcha. It makes sense. All right, and then the second amendment or the second well, section, sorry, is well, do you want to cover the last of do you want to cover the last part? The other parts in there? Oh, uh, well, I think, uh, you know, what it says the current state governor can serve as the U.S. vice president yeah. and yeah, the, the governors English. cannot. Yeah, they can't be compensated for their service in the Senate. So they are being compensated for being governor. Right. Right. If the, if the gotcha. state members of the, if the citizens of their state wants to pay them more, they're more than welcome to pay them more. But I don't want to get to where like right now we have. Senators and House of Representatives are going, you know what? I think we need a pay raise. Yes. All favor in the Congress to give ourselves more money? Raise your hand. Oh my gosh, it's surprising. So very few ever vote against any pay raises. This just eliminates that. So it doesn't, it's not a backdoor way of getting more money from the governors. They have to go to their state legislatures. So we save money at the federal level in the grand scheme of the thing, very little, but I think symbolically it says a lot. The current governor being potentially being the vice president. Well, the vice president, um, like Will Rogers, he was a famous comedian in, back in the day, and he said he has the best job in the in the country. The only thing he has to do is wake up every morning and says, "I was the president." I mean, it's a it's a <laughs> meaningless a job that I personally would eliminate. There's no cause for it. There's no reason for it. Um, but we have it, and so why not have a current governor? be it because whatever the vice president does is basically given to him or her by the president um there have been there have been vice presidents have literally done nothing because the president would give them anything okay um there are presidents that totally um block shut out their vice president to when and there have been cases where they have had presidents have died and the vice president has to be brought to speed because he hasn't been brought to speed until then. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a meaningless position. If we're going to still have it, have it be a governor, and then um, we we save the cost of the vice president. You know, there right, there will probably still be other ones, but anyways. So and so going to section two. All right. So section two: each state's votes in the U.S. House of Representatives are equally divided amongst all of that state's current state assembly members. Each current state assembly member is also a full member of the U.S. House of Representatives, and none of them can be compensated in any way or form for their service to the U.S. House of Representatives. So basically, just what I'm thinking, what you're saying is, you know, each state has their own uh, Senate assembly. And the, yeah, the state, state assembly. assembly, yeah. And so basically that takes the place of the U.S. House of Representatives. Right, because the uh, state assembly in every in every state is um, is basically the House of Representatives for that state. Um, mm-hmm. For those of your viewing audience who are from another country, basically the House of Representatives and state assembly are parliament. Uh, they represent the population. What I do is 
um, to explain the what I said in the, that section. Let's say your state has 10 votes in the U.S. House of Representatives, just for easy math purposes. And your state assembly has 100 members, which is actually rather large for a state assembly. What it would do, this men would do, is to take that 10 votes in the U.S. House of Representatives, divide it by 100. And so each member of the state assembly would get 1.1% of a vote. So when bills come up, they vote. Those fractions are added up. And then we decide whether or not that bill passes or not, depending on the parliamentary rules at that time, you know, whether it's a simple majority or super majority that's needed. Um, so that's all it does. It's, it's the same argument made for why we don't need U.S. senators when we have the, the governor and the same argument here for this. Now, since we've covered, okay, we'll, we need to cover the next section and then I can talk about what all this means. Uh, I, guess, I, I think, oh, and just to let you know, by, by full members of, they're a full member of the House of Representatives. This means that they have all the, the rights and privileges of a U.S. House of Representatives. It just means they, they're not treated poorly, you know. Gotcha. All right. So the third section is all U.S. senators can propose and vote on legislative bills from their states. All U.S. House of Representatives can propose and vote on legislative bills from their districts and the state's capital. And all congressional committee and subcommittee meetings must be conducted by way of video conferencing. Yeah. So let's delve this, into that. This is um, section three is a parliamentary rule section. Um, some of your viewers might not know this, um, but there's famous examples of this. Uh, Senator Feinstein is the latest one. There have been times when they have wheeled in on their deathbeds into the Senate. So a senator can vote on a bill, okay? They have to be on the Senate floor to vote, okay? Or to propose if you want to. And the same thing happens in the U.S. House of Representatives. Um, you have to propose a bill to the Senate, and then you have to have another member second that vote. And, well, they propose a bill. In the Senate, it's called the president. The president will then say, does anyone second this vote? In the U.S. House of Representatives, that role is taken by the Speaker of the of the house and they say does anyone second the vote and so someone else says i second that vote so the best bills they have the best chance of succeeding typically is um a republican or a democrat proposing the bill and then the opposite party member i'm an opposite party member seconding that bill basically what they're saying to the, the their chamber this is a bipartisan bill whether or not it is it doesn't matter but it's that's why they have a republican and a democrat um, one proposed and the other one second um, to show us a bipartisanship. But they have to do that in their chamber. This is a parliamentary say, no, you can do this back at the states. Um, there was, for my state, um, home state, my home, my home state is Wisconsin. There was a senator, Senator Feingold, and he ran on the, on the platform, his campaign platform was, I will live in in Wisconsin, I won't travel to Washington, D.C. And Washington, D.C. said, oh, so you don't want to propose any bill or vote in anything. Hmm. And so basically he went to Washington, D.C. It was all, they used a parliamentary mechanism to force him to come to Washington, D.C. This is just parliamentary saying you can, basically you can now telecommute. That's what this is about. And as far as, um, um, Committees and subcommittees having to be 
uh, done with video conferencing. Well, that's I believe there should be a transparency in our our government. I don't believe it should be behind closed doors. They will try to. They'll still try to do it. There's always going to be back door, you know, back room negotiating, et cetera. But at least the meetings are going to be open to the, hopefully to the public so we can see them. And we'll love to have all of them. A lot of them are now. Okay. A lot of them are now. Some probably would never be there. There's um, an, in the U S Senate, there's the intelligence committee, which obviously can't be made public because, well, here's what we're learning from the Russians right now. <laughs> you know, <Yeah. laughs> probably not want to televise that too much. You know, I'm sure the Russians might go, Hey, you know, maybe may we should tune into this one, you know, <laughs> So that's the problem. Yeah. Now, with uh, all this now combined, now I can talk about what happens. I create the first time in American history a dual-powered politician. I create a politician who's both a federal politician and a state politician. They can they can propose and vote on bills in both uh, federal bills and state bills. Now, this one of the reasons I think this is going to cause the the government to be shifted back to the states. And for some one simple reason, impact. Let's say you are a state assembly member. Okay. Isaac is a state assembly from, from what was your state again? I'm sorry. Ohio. Ohio. Yeah. Okay. You're a state assembly member from Ohio. Let's say, I'm sure there's a lot of, uh, let's, Isaac is a state assembly member from the, the 10th district of Ohio. Or do you know your district number? I actually don't, but okay. yeah, let's go with the tenth. <laughs> the, you're the, from the tenth, okay. And let's say, using again the just for simple mathematics, uh, that you are one of a hundred state assembly members in your state assembly, okay. With my amendment, there will now be five thousand four hundred and sixty-two U.S. U.S. House of Representatives. You're a politician. You became a politician because you want to have impact. I don't think I think all your viewers can understand that if you have a bill in the and the state and you had a bill at the federal level, you as a state representative, where will you have the most impact? One of one of a hundred or one of five thousand four hundred and sixty-two? One of a hundred. One of a hundred. Just like this also plays to the the governor. Well, as a governor, he is governor, top dog of his state. Okay, he's the one that gets to uh, sign or veto bills. Okay, mm -hmm. but in the U.S. Senate, my U.S. Senate, he's one of fifty. So, where would he have the most impact at the state level or in the Senate? State the level. Senate. Oh, state okay. level. Yeah, state level. So now you have these governors and state assembly members are have the same issues of impact. You have a country that is very diverse. You know, um, geographically diverse, industrial diverse, um, racially diverse, religiously diverse. Um, it is a very diverse country, but in, within their states, there's kind of a uniformity to it. Okay, mm -hmm. um, up in Boston, they all talk the same. Everyone wants some clam chowder. You want some chowder? Okay, so they actually know how they can speak to each other. I don't know if you've ever been to Texas, but they have that. They have a. It's very interesting to listen to a Texan person talk. You know, uh, it's like right out of um, a Wild West movie. Okay. Um, so they know that they'll have the most impact on their state. They know that they know the state better than they know the, the country. 
And so I believe what they're going to be doing um, is they're going to be saying, you know what, we can do this stuff in our state and not have the federal government do it. Uh, here's the truth of the matter is every state has every federal district but three. Uh, every federal department but three. Okay. Every state has a Department of Education, okay, mm -hmm. has the Department of Commerce, has a, you know, all the ones except for three, which is defense, state, diplomacy, and treasury, printing of the money, okay? But even within this, within those three departments, well, every state has a National Guard. That's actually part of defense, okay? Um, some states will go out and talk to other countries, um, trying to convince them to open up a factory in, in their state. So they're doing a little bit of diplomacy there. Um, and there was a one time in our country history that every state has its own currency. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, counterfeiting was rampant because of this. Okay, that's one reason why we have one currency at the federal level, because they could spend enough money to buy the expensive printing presses that made counterfeiting harder and harder and harder. Now we have you know, strips running through our um, currency. We have microfilaments in there. You can take a pen and you can go like this and it'll turn a certain color if it's fake or if it's real. Um, so I believe that that will remain at the federal level, but all the other ones, every state has essentially, they don't might not call it this, but every state has a Department of Interior. Well, that's state parks, state preserves. Um, and, and that goes all the way down. There, there are county parks. <laughs> you know, There are municipal parks. But at the state level, they have that. And so I don't think they need to have the federal government dictate what they do in their state. And also the federal government has been just unbelievably unkind to all of the Western states. And, and I think it's Nevada. 80, I think it's Nevada. 80% of all land is owned by the federal government. New York is point. 8% or 0.08% of the land is the federal government. That's that's the shutting the barn door after the horse is already gone. They're they're imposing the west eastern states imposing their will on on the western states. I think they can decide what they want to do with their own land. And that will just naturally happen as they have more and more impact. I think it will be overnight, maybe not. I mean, there's a politician in uh, Argentina that that just knocking out uh, federal departments and they have like a what is it, a hundred and fifty percent inflation rate down there. So hard times require hard actions. We are not at that stage yet in our country. Um, but I believe because of where the politicians have impact, that they're going to be saying, no, we can do this in our state. We don't have to have the federal government do this. So I believe there's going to be a, a natural, uh, gradual, some cases not gradual. Um uh, like the FBI and Justice Department, I think they'll. I, if Trump gets elected, I, I bet you they will be just eliminated. Uh, the federal, the FBI, it was created with an executive order. It only takes an executive order to disband the FBI. Um, the Justice Department and the FBI have been made into political weapons, which is nothing new, folks. Yes, Biden's doing it now. Every president has been doing it. Okay, they they use this. They use it to go after. Their opponents. I mean, uh, John F. Kennedy used it against the steel companies. Okay, raided them. Basically, said I can beat, I can push you around to make force them to to go what he wanted with the with the union negotiations. Reagan used it. All the presidents have used it. Um, Trump has to a certain extent, but he was dealing with 
I think it, he just never got around to it. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. he was dealing with other issues at that time, but he might have. I mean, if he if he didn't have other major issues to deal with, he might have used it just like a political weapon. But but the thing of it is that I think Trump didn't um, because he wasn't a politician. He didn't yeah. understand about making something a political weapon because he was not a politician. So it was like, well, what? You know, um, he was approaching as a businessman coming to, at business at the government. He knew he only had at most eight years, four years, but, you know, for eight years. So he knew he had limited time. So um, but if you're a career politician like Biden, Reagan, Bush, John F. Kennedy, all, all the way back to when the FBI was created and the Justice Department before that, they all use it as political weapons. They all had their own um, mechanisms to 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 attack their own opponents. Um, but um, that those two departments, if Trump gets reelected, which I'm pretty sure he will be, um, I'm a libertarian. I'm going to be voting for the Libertarian Party. I voted for the Libertarian Party candidate 2016, 2020. So if your people think that I'm a trumpeteer, I'm not. Um, but <clears throat> Uh, aside from those, I think the other departments are going to be just uh, the Congress and the Senate are just going to look okay, um, and they're going okay. Uh, basically, it's just logic. It's like, okay, you're governor, you are the state assembly member from the tenth district in Ohio. Okay, just think of your own frame of mind. Okay, you have to deal with educational bills all the time. Now I'm going to have to deal with educational bills at the federal and state level. I, I'm doubling my workload. What, why don't we just do this at the state level, you know, where I have a better grasp of what's going on? And so that's why I think that these departments are just going to shrink. Some are just going to go away. The education department was created by um, uh, President Carter. I think that was the one that will just go away. But like uh, Department of Interior, there'll be a, they're, they're basically being a transfer of power from. Well, we have these national parks. Well, now I can see where the states are going to go. Well, well, let's have those be state parks. So transferring the ownership from the federal government to the state governments, there's going to be arguments, all this type of stuff. That's fine. Okay. But it's going to be, the states are going to be more powerful, but that's simply because we're eliminating duplication that is happening at the federal level right now. And simply, and simply because they create a new politician who's both a federal politician and a state politician, we're not going to get rid of the military. Okay, that's asinine. Okay, um, but we may change the military. States, a soldier's a job. Okay, every state wants jobs, so we have all these. See, right now the federal politicians they don't give a shit about really jobs in their state in a way, um, except for real you know, pork barrel politics. But they want to have impact on the world. And so we we have, what is 153 overseas military bases? And that's just military bases. Every embassy is essentially a military base because we have, the I think it's the Marines that are there. Um, we have all other places that are not called bases, but they're basically military bases. We have, a, we have our military all over the world. That might not change. Might not. The, the the new Congress might say, yeah, we're fine with who it is. On the other hand, they might say, let's bring those those soldiers home to because we, those can be jobs that can increase our economy. So we might be very, there might be a lot of overseas bases that are just closed down and those soldiers are brought home. And when they're brought home, you don't need a standing army in a state, but you do need National Guard. Every state needs a National Guard. Um, 
a disaster hits, they're called out. I mean, it's the first thing out of, you know, if a governor doesn't call out a National Guard, they get shit for not doing that, okay? Yeah. You know, a tornado hits. Well, you're in Ohio. Tornado hits. That National Guard better be there. And by the way, National Guard, they shoot looters, okay? Mm-hmm. They have big signs to put out. Looters will be shot. They're not cops, okay? But hurricane hits in Florida, National Guard. Okay, earthquake hits California, National Guard. Okay, they're brought out to handle this. So I think what's going to happen is then instead of them being, um, and also there's the, you don't, may not understand, but there's also a reserve. There's a military reserve. Every branch has a reserve. But that is, okay, but that is like the president's National Guard in a state. The governor cannot call upon the reserve. They can only call upon the National Guard. This happens. The governor and state assemblymen can't get rid of that reserve, make them all National Guard. The deplu- again, again, duplication at a federal level. And then we have not standing active duty soldiers, make them National Guard, make them part-time soldiers. Um, at one time, do we need a, a standing guard, a, a military? And not really, because we have the Atlantic and Pacific on both sides. We can now act, but with telecommunication, like what we have now, the telephone, okay, the the email, the internet, we can activate a National Guard extremely fast now, okay? Um, No, you know, when National Guard first started, you had to send out messengers to activate National Guard. I mean, kind of like Paul Revere, the Red Coats are coming, the Red Coats are coming, okay? Now it's email, it's up. Your commander calls you, come on in, you know, and that's it. Okay, so I don't think we'll have a standing guard and a reserve. We'll have just a national guard. They'll be beefed up a bit, and that will just help out their states. But then again, they might look at that and say, oh, we have too much national guard. They may reduce it down. But that's going to be up to, I think, each state is going to determine how much national guard they need. And just like the training they need. I mean, the truth of the matter is, is that um, there's different challenges um, with the disaster that happens. We don't have... In the Midwest, we don't worry about flooding from a hurricane. We don't, mm. you know, there's called surge water. We don't, you say surge water to people and they think that you're toilet's backing up. What, what are you talking about? You know, but that's a problem with with the with, uh, uh, hurricanes, okay? Um, when a tornado hits, it, it rips apart the infrastructure differently than how an earthquake rips apart the structure um, is a very, is like a laser beam that cuts through a community and rips out power lines where in, in California, it, it hits everything all at once. Just, okay. Anyways. Um, so this is how um, I believe is a state's rights amendment in the aspect that I believe that once we have this dual power politicians, they'll see that they, they'll, they'll get rid of the federal duplication at this and and just to go with their state level, they'll still have federal departments, defense, state, and and treasury. Though they may change, although the tr- the state probably will change very little, you know, because it's that the state is. Uh, in case you probably don't know, the state <laughs> again, we have weird terminology. The state department at the federal government does not have anything to do with the states of the United States. The state department has it represents the nation. To other countries, is our diplomacy wing. So that's, um, I don't think that's going to change practically at all, except for the next section. All right. So the next section 
is the fourth one. Uh, the U.S. president must physically visit every state in the union and U.S. territory at least once a year. So this one was interesting to me because it feels like a lot. You know, there are, are 50 states uh, and then there are, what, four or three or four territories? Um, it, uh, it, all depends how you, it all depends how you classify uh, a territory. I think we have up to 17 territories. But they, they have different um, administrative policies. Some are closer to being statehood. Some are self-autonomous. Uh, like Puerto Rico is, is self-autonomous. Um, but there are other ones that are, um, I believe they're called dependencies, where basically we run the territory for them because they have such a small population. It'd be asking a lot for them to turn around and and to run their, their territory. So we send in people, we send federal bureaucrats to, to take care of the, the organizational aspects of their thing. So you don't have that huge debt falling. But Puerto Rico... Boy, that they have more than enough population uh, to self, um, be basically self autonomous. Gotcha. So, but so, yeah, so that once a year, so that that's probably about four or five states a month. You know, that's uh, yeah. like if he's trying to get to oh. all of them. Oh, I tell you, you what's going to happen. I'll tell you what's going to happen. <laughs> Every, well, what's happen. Fifty states, fifty-two mm-hmm. weeks a year. Every state is going to demand we want our week. We want the president here for our week, okay, for one week. Because what's going to happen? All these state politicians know what's going to happen. The entire nation is going to turn its attention to that state for that week. This is a time when they can show off their state. You don't think the tourism industry in that state is going to tell the governor, you better take the president to (laughs) whatever this national park we have or Wisconsin, we have Wisconsin Dells. Um, and those, the industries, they want to show off their industries. And basically, it's a way for them to promote themselves to companies all around the country, if not the world, saying, hey, look, we have a, we have this gigantic manufacturing ba- uh, basis here we, because we have coal right next to us. And, we, and we're well-connected with railroads or we have a, we have a seaport. They'll, they'll want to show that on off. And I don't care how... I don't care if the state's 100% Democrat is a Republican president or the state's 100% Republican and is a Democrat president. They're all going to demand that that president be there for one week. Now, this doesn't mean they're not going to be, I hate him, I hate him. But they want this country to come to their state so they can see them go, I hate him. I, you know, They want the press. They want the attention. Yeah. And also, if you think about it, the president is a very powerful person. The states have him for, they get the president's here for one week. Okay, but the president's not going to treat these states like shit. No, these states, those governors are also U.S. House, U.S. senators. Those state assembly members are also House of Representatives. He wants any of his bills to pass through Congress. He's got to kiss his their asses, just like they're going to kiss his ass to get bills they want him to vote or veto. Okay, so it is going to be, uh, and also, I mean, it, George Washington. Okay, again, someone that's not. I think this country owes him a debt that is just unbelievable. He's the first president to visit all third all states. Well, there's only 13 at a time, but he thought it was very important for the people whom he governed to see who governed them. Okay. The next president to visit all the states was Nixon. Hmm. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. And you know why he was able to do that? Why is that? Because of Air Force One, oh Air Force, Air Force One, 
Okay, because before, what did presidents have? I mean, they, George Washington, he rode in a carriage. Oh, and again, a person that's very aware of his image. He had a famous white horse. Okay, he got out to near the city limits. He get out out of the carriage. He get on his horse, and even though he might not be in good health, he sh it was showtime, and he because people expected to see George Washington riding on his horse into the city. Okay, but he traveled by horse. Basically, carriage by horse. Um, so then later on, we have what is called whistle stops, which was trains. Um, when Abraham Lincoln was killed, his it was a funeral train that took his body back to Illinois. And every state wanted that train to come through. It was, oh my God, you talk about atrocities that are done to a corpse. Um, and that's where we get embalming from, by the way. Embalming became a thing because they embalmed Abraham Lincoln. And before that, it was just you didn't were embalmed. You were that's why at that time the dead body was laid in the living room of your house. Friends and family came over, and it was all done in a day. And then the, the body was buried at the end of that day uh, because that body was going to rot. Okay. Um, but because of Abraham Lincoln and then Bombing, oh wow, he looks lifelike. It wasn't it was all just read about the history of that. It was just thank goodness he wasn't alive. Um but that's where embalming came from. And, but they had trains, and there used to be a whistle stop. FDR had famous, you know, his whistle stop speeches. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt whistle stop his speeches. Where literally the train would stop in the middle of the city, and whistle stop, and the president would give a speech. Um, when um, presidential election years, all the candidates rode by train, and they would have little whistle stop speeches. They stop and they give a speech, and they move on to the next city. Well, then this whole thing came with the with the airplanes. And um, just like any new technology, a lot of people were afraid of this new technology. And, and the airplanes were just like any new technology. They had their bugs. So it was not the most safest form of travel <laughs> to go by air. Okay, you were called daredevils. I mean, literally, that's what they were called, daredevil pilots. That would you, You'd go to your um, county carnival to watch someone fly a plane. And I was like, oh, wow. You know, uh, farmers would pay money to be in the plane to go and see their crops. My uncle, Uncle uh, Shirley, yeah, a guy named Shirley. Um, but, um, <clears throat> yeah, at, when he was born, Shirley Temple had not yet become a star. So that's why he was gotcha. Shirley. Shirley, you, like today, Jody is a male-female name. When yeah. he was born, Shirley was male-female name. <laughs> but that's what he did. Um, and my dad took the tickets. <laughs> so the tickets. And the farmers want to go and look in this is the first time in their life to see their farm in its entirety. Okay. Today we do satellite pictures, but back then that was basically the satellite of their time. So it was until I think until um, Nixon that I think one president was comfortable enough to visit all the, all the States. And then we have the air force one. And I, I, so I read your question. So you might want to ask. Uh, <laughs> all right. So basically, like, I think he kind of just explained why, but the thing is, it seems like it will be a logistical nightmare, and it also uh, seems like uh, it will be hard to keep the president safe if he's constantly on the move, and I wonder how much money would have to be spent on security keeping him safe, you know, if he's constantly in a different state every week. Well, okay, there's different ways of looking at that. Um, I'll take the... Having the president live in one building all the time, mm -hmm. okay, let's bomb that building. Okay, uh, what was we, we, we know he's going to be there. 
Uh, we have come close a lot of times. We've had a lot of attacks at them. And if you go to the White House today, when I went there, when I, I went there when I was 16 in 1976, the, uh, the centennial, the bicentennial celebration with my dad. He took, my, my parents took their, every time we turned 16, I have th- three brothers. When you turn 16, you went to Washington, D.C. with one of the parents. I went there at 76. I went there recently. The White House I went to, you could just walk up, walk in, you signed in, you showed your ticket from your House of Representative, or we got our from our senator, and you got a tour of the White House. Today, you're going through metal detectors. I mean, they're only, the only thing they're not doing is cavity checks, okay? Um, you're, you're, and they really are because of the scans that they have now. It's a totally different world. It's, 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 it's more of an armored bunker than it is a residency. And there's also, people don't understand, there's a gigantic infrastructure underneath the White House. Okay. Mm-hmm. But when a president travels, Air Force One is the White House, is a, is a mobile White House, it is fully connected. Um, when when um, the Twin Towers were attacked, we did not know at that time, we know now, but we did not know if this was just the, the harbinger of, of, of a major attack on our country. Bush was popped in to um, Air Force One. I, no one ordered him, but he they would <laughs> I he would probably have been forced into Air Force One regardless, because then he was elevated. It's the most secure place to be. It is EMT proof, it is escorted by fighter jets, and there are two at any one time, there are two. Air Force Ones that travel because again they're saying, well, which one is it is? You know, just like um, the Beast, which is the the White House limousine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's called in the it's called the Beast by um, the security. They have more than one Beast. I think they have three. So you you have a one in third chance that you're going to hit the right one, and they never let on which one the president is in. Okay, if you if the president were to go and travel, um, he's going to stay at military bases. So he's going to be within a protected environment. And he's also going to do it because you got to kiss up to the soldier as well. Okay. And the soldiers are, you know, that when that happens, that base is going, there's, there's a whole logistic train that goes wherever the president goes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Where, when the president travels through a city, uh, a, a city street, the, the Secret Service has already gone through all of that. Okay, all the manhole covers are bolted down. They can't be popped up. They everything is. They have snipers all along the routes. Okay, but they have that in Washington D.C. and and there they have the disadvantage that he's a sitting duck there. Okay, so there's we're not there's no savings by having him in Washington D.C. than out amongst the people. So there the he can do all as he does now. When the president is overseas, he is still the president of the United States. It's not like he is not going to – he can you – know, unlike Congress, the president can sign a bill anywhere he is. Um, he doesn't have that limitation on him. So he is the president wherever he is, okay, regardless of that. And and it costs just as much to keep him in Washington, D.C. as move him around. The nice thing about moving around is the people might have an actual chance to actually see the person that governs over them. The House of Representatives, which is now the state assemblies, the senators, which are now the governors, have a chance to have his year for at least a year or a chance to have his year. You know that the president's going to make a speech before every state assembly. Okay. Uh, he's going to meet 
that when he lands, you know the governor's going to be there regardless of what party he is. He's going to be there, shake the hand for a photo op. Hey, how are you? Yes, yes, right here. Yeah, everyone smile. Okay. Um, so it, it, there's no savings, and the president operates to this day. When he's over in another country, he's still president. He is totally informed. He is never out of the loop. That's what Air Force One's all about. He's never out of the loop. Um, so there's no disruption of his job. He's he is where he ever he is. Oh, that the president has to sleep in a different bed every week. Cry me a river. Okay. First of all, it's only four years of your life, maximum eight. You wanted a job. No one held a gun to, except for practically George Washington. No one held a gun to your head, okay, to be president. Um, you voluntarily became that. Everyone there's no mysteries about the presidency. You knew what you walked into when you walked into it. And think about it from the president's standpoint. Once I kick him out of Washington, D.C., he's never going to say that he doesn't want to visit a state. Never. It'd be political suicide for him to say, just like it'd be political suicide for any governor to relocate and live in Washington, D.C. If you want to, I mean, there'd be an instantaneous recall vote drive. And to, to kick him out of office if that governor tried to live in Washington, D.C. Any state assemblyman that tried to live in Washington, D.C., he'd have a recall vote against him or her. You know, they have to be at home. So the president, politically, it is advantageous for him to be this because he's out seeing the people and it helps him that way. So I don't think there's going to be a lot of presidents that are going to be totally against this. It's just that... Um, I think it's best for the country and for the next section. And then that leads into the next section. Um, yeah. So the next section was the Capitol Hill building is no longer a functional building of the U.S. Congress. The White House is no longer the resident or office of the U.S. president. And both are made national monuments and turned over to the Smithsonian Institution for Preservation, Historical Research and Public Tours. The District of Columbia is stripped of its federal status and returned to the state of Maryland. So, yeah, I think this is kind of self-explanatory based on the last section. If, you know, if the president is constantly traveling, there's no need for a White House. And if the governors are the Senate and the state assemblies are the House of Representatives, there's no need for a Capitol Hill building. So, yeah, it, it makes sense. As far as the judicial branch, well, let's be mm -hmm. honest about it. The Supreme Court justices don't give a rat's ass what you think. <laughs> okay, mm -hmm. these are you know, no state's going to influence them. They'll just look at it and go, anyways, <laughs> you know, <laughs> they won't care. So they and also they already exist elsewhere. They might still continue in um, Washington D.C. at the Supreme Court. That's fine. No one's going to bother them. But also, you know, I'll tell you what. Annapolis is the state capital of Maryland. You know the state uh, politicians are not going to relocate their capital to Washington, D.C. and have the stink of a D.C. on them. They're going to be, oh, no, we're, we're fine where we're at. And as far as stripping, well, everything else has not been, the president's gone, the White House shut down, becomes a tourist destination. Capitol Hill is shut down, becomes a tourist destination. Supreme Court, they're off on their own. They don't, they don't give a shit. And they're not a tourist destination. You can go, you can go and see the Supreme Court. You will never see the Supreme Court in session. Um, you you have to be a constitutional lawyer to enter that room. Okay. <laughs> um, so uh this is 
Washington, D.C. basically becomes a tourist destination for the state of Maryland. There's been a lot of talks, well, D.C. should be made the 51st state. Well, we don't need the federal district anymore. We just, I mean, people don't understand that Washington, D.C. was one time a square. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's not, right now it looks like a square with a big bite taken out of it. And that's because of the Civil War, because it went into Virginia. When Virginia went with the Confederacy, well, they, they took that part. And when the uh, after the Civil War was over, they never returned it. You know, um, Arlington Cemetery. Well, that's actually uh, Robert E. Lee's home. That's his plantation. And why it became Arlington Cemetery was because there was a politician <laughs> who basically um, wanted to spite Robert E. Lee. So he started burying their dead in his property. And that's why Arlington Cemetery is what it is, is, is Robert E. Lee's residence, uh, just so that he could never be able to return to his residence because it's a graveyard, mm. you know? Yeah, so, so uh, just going to say, so the Supreme Court, they would still meet at, you know, Possibly, their, it's up to them. Location. The Supreme yeah. Court can actually, de- the Supreme Court has is, is a separate legislative um, thing. Now, they... Their bill is paid for by Congress. Okay, well, basically, all all budgets originate in the House of Representatives. Just like in the Senate, they get to nominate, they get to approve or disapprove of a Supreme Court justices. The House of Representative gets to that's where the um, bills come out of. Now, yes, the Senate does create their own bill, and they have a meeting of the minds, et cetera, this type of stuff, but legally, that's where our bills come out, is the House of Representatives. And it has, I believe it has to pass them first before it is sent to the Senate, where then they approve or disapprove, and then the whole negotiation that goes on, and then it goes to the White House, and there's negotiations all the way. The President proposes <laughs> a budget, okay, but people don't understand Congress doesn't give a shit. They can, yeah, you can propose whatever you want, fat boy. <laughs> we don't care. Okay. Now, what happens is, and this is what shows you where the real power is. Okay. The president proposes a bill. It means nothing. It requires a member of the U.S. House Representative, who is always a member of their party. I introduced this uh, the budget to the Senate. Then another member of the party, I basically the speaker says, does anyone second this? Another member of the party says, I second this. And that's how the president's budget is introduced to Congress. It requires the U.S. House of Representatives to do that. because and they, and they have never, never not enforced that. Because that's the House of Representatives basically saying, no, this is our power, not yours. They, they're gotcha. very protective of their power. All right. And then I'll say... So if we return D.C. to Maryland, does that mean the U.S. no longer has a capital at all? No. Or doesn't need it. Doesn't, doesn't need, need a capital? It. The stupidest thing for us to have is a national capital. Stupidest really? thing. Yeah. I okay. mean, every nation has a capital. Yeah, they're stupid too. Okay. Because, okay, let's say we're Russia. Okay. Mm. Do you know what the first target of Russia, the Soviet Union was? Washington, D.C., Mm-hmm. Okay, that's why when the president gave his speech, the vice president um, or a member of the chain of command of succession was always somewhere else. And they were out of Washington, D.C., so that if the Washington, D.C. was nuked, there would be a, the, the, the basically the federal government would continue with that person. 
And, the, and you'd be surprised who that person was at times. Uh, when Ronald Reagan was shot, okay, when he when the assassination attempt happened on him, um, there was confusion, et cetera. And um, Haig, which I think was the Secretary of Defense, or I think it was Secretary of Defense, or maybe Secretary of State. But for a moment in time, he was the acting president of the United States. Okay. Um, so when you see the president give a speech, the chain of command has one person that would be in the chain of command out in case someone nuked um, the Capitol Hill building. Because look at it. I mean, think about it. The It's insane that we had. You have the president give his annual address to Congress. You have both members, both chambers of Congress in the same building. You have the Supreme Court in that building. Okay. Target number one, okay, and the and the military it goes up I think to at least um, I forget what decon, but it goes it goes up at least one decon, mm -hmm. you know, because if the, you're going to kill off the, our federal government, the president's speech is a perfect opportunity, and when the, during the Cold War it was always assumed, always assumed that a Soviet submarine off our coast was going to launch a nuke, so that was only minutes away from. Uh, Washington, D.C., and and try to kill off everyone. I mean, that's why we have the Internet, is because they, the Internet was designed for the military, not civilians. The Internet was so that you could not take out a central node and uh, and the, the military communications all collapsed. The Internet, you can't take out any node. It can always find a route to get to their destination. And eventually, um, basically... Professors and graduate students abused it to the point where the military was like, you know, when they, I guess, supposedly it was, I forget what the recipe was. I think it's pumpkin pie, but some recipe was sent by some <laughs> grad student and the military was like, what? <laughs> it was like, out, 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 out. And, and so they kicked them out. And so that's why we have the internet now. We have today is because, and the military still has its own internet. The yeah. military does not. The military, yes, Air Force, Army, Navy, Marines, Coast Guard, they all have their website, but that's not actually on the military's internet. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's to, so it's a portal for them to communicate and recruit. But the military still has its own internet, and God knows how, how many um, versions it's up to now, probably hundreds of different versions. Is, you know, just like people don't understand that the military has MP, uh, MP proof chips. Okay, um, so that if anyone did an EMP strike against them, the military would still operate. All, all of us would lose everything, you know, and there's a whole thing about that, you know, and we can go off on that, but that's away from this. <laughs> um, so, so uh, hey, I think I pretty much got the gist of it. And, and one thing, too, about that is I think with D.C., the reason why they wanted to be uh, the 51st state was because, one, they weren't able to vote for president mm -hmm. and there there were some other issues they had they basically Man, had it mainly that is because it's a federal district it was yeah the washington dc became what it is today not that was never their 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 plan to have so many people there mm -hmm. um after the civil war slaves flooded washington dc that's why it has a huge population it has was after the civil war they just flooded washington dc the states couldn't control it Okay, um, there are many tales of free black um, um, men who would not cross the line into Maryland. 
and would never go to Virginia. Okay, they once they entered it, there's some that never left it until literally the day they died, and they died in Washington, D.C. So they had this huge population that kind of grew on it. All the government bureaucracy grew up on it. Again, you have to understand with the founding fathers, they didn't mean to have the Washington, D.C. to be all all powerful, all everything, you know, as massive as it is. Um, but that's just how it grew up. Now that I take, there's no president's gone, Congress is gone, the Supreme Court doesn't give a shit what anyone thinks. So what's the purpose of Washington, D.C.? And that's another thing that's going to change. Okay, right now we have all of them there. The problem with Washington, D.C., it is a lobbyist dream location. Okay, president, all senators, all House representatives, one location. You as a lobbyist can literally go down a hallway going from one U.S. senator or one U.S. House representative to the next one after another after another. They are wined and dined in Washington, D.C. Back home, they're public servants, and the public lets them know they're public servants. Watch the town hall meetings that AOC has received, and they let her know exactly that they think that she's a public servant. You go and watch any town hall meetings by any of the senators and House of Representatives, no one kisses their ass back home. They want it. You answer this question. I'm upset with you. You hear me on out. Washington, D.C., the bureaucrats, the lobbyists kiss all the asses of every U.S. senator and U.S. House representative and the president. And it, that creates a problem. Uh, just like Hollywood, there are some celebrities that start believing their own press releases. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, Washington, D.C., oh, everyone praises me. Everyone thinks I'm wonderful. Oh, everyone loves me. Except I must be as brilliant as they think I am. I think I can decide everything for everyone in this nation it just feeds their ego you send them back home their ego is checked at the door okay so i make it for lobbyists they go right now there's 100 u.s senators and 435 u.s house representatives which means 535 federal politicians add one for the president with my amendment there's um 5512 members of congress spread all across the nation in every 50 state, literally every 50 state. Good luck being a lobbyist, okay? Pass, pressing the flesh. Now I've had other people say, well, they'll still send money. They can still buy them. Yeah, yeah. But there's a reason why U.S. House representatives and U.S. senators become lobbyists after they leave office because they can get in and seen at U.S. Senator, that U.S. House representative, they can press the flesh, just like PR firms. There's a reason why they hire foreign reporters the New York Times and the Washington Post and talent agents um, from, well, I don't know what she's doing now, but at one time, Oprah's show and other talk shows is because it gives that person that they hired then has an end to talking to those people at that newspaper or that talk show, et cetera. That's why PR firms are built on those people. Same thing in Washington, D.C. I knew you as a U.S. House representative. You knew me as a U.S. House representative. I now retire. I now get paid multiple times what I made as a U.S. House representative. I call you up and say, hey, Isaac, hey, Jack, how are you doing? Hey, why don't I take you out to dinner? On me, which wink, wink, means on the lobbying organization that he's now representing. I make it much more hard. Now they have to travel to all 50 states. You know, I don't care how wealthy your organization is. Are you really going to be able to offer 
um, enough to 5,512 people to make them willing to sell their souls. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So it breaks right. it. It just it kills DC lobbyists. He exists no more. <laughs> the judicial court. You don't lobby the judicial court, okay? Unless you're a constitutional lawyer, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so all that, they're what? What can they do? It is they're not going to fly around and meet with five thousand five hundred twelve, you know? Okay, and yeah. also, yeah, and you know, um, maybe we should go into the next section. <laughs> all right, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, the sixth and final one when I was the one I thought was the most interesting. You know, before I go into this, I'll say after hearing you explain all of these sections, they all make sense now. And thank you. You know, they, I, I see the reason for them and the benefit of them. Now, this last one is, I'll be interested. You were going, you have to explain this to me because sure. it, it goes like this: any country that beco- can become a U.S. territory if two thirds of an open and free nationwide referendum vote to do so. After at least five years as a U.S. territory, a U.S. territory can become a U.S. state if at least two-thirds of its population can read, write, and converse in American English to an eighth-grade level. And then at least two-thirds vote in favor of an an open and free territory-wide referendum. Any U.S. state or territory can secede from the USA by a simple majority vote in an open and free state territory wide referendum so basically you're saying any country can become a territory and then a state if they vote to do so my question is i mean i feel like that would be a massive headache you know for example here's one i thought of right right now in the middle east there's this ongoing conflict between israel and palestine right israel is our ally what if palestine vote well yeah you know what if a country like, say, Palestine, let's say another country like just any third world country that say, like Haiti, they vote to become a U.S. state or a U.S. territory. All right. They have a lot of debt and they could become a burden to our country. I mean, if I was a member of a third world country, you know, and it's my the reason why they have this debt. It's not necessarily their fault. There are other a whole lot of reasons for this. But if I was a member of a third world country, why wouldn't you vote to join one of the most populous countries in the world? You know, what do you have to offer that country, and why would you know? Wouldn't they just become a burden to the, um, the country? Do you want me to answer now? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Okay. Um, a few things you should understand. Mm-hmm. Uh, the American economy is the largest economy in the world. Mm-hmm. Nothing comes close. Nothing. Okay. Um, China is trying to come close. Japan once was, they said, oh, it's going to take over. They didn't. Okay. Um, we are a massive, massive economy. Okay. We measure our economy in trillions of dollars. Okay. <laughs> There are very few countries that measure their economy in trillions. So, um, but also you have to understand, I'm not making it easy for them to join the United States of America. I'm not asking for them to join. I'm not asking them to pass by a simple majority or a super majority, which is called 60%, which is what some bills have to pass 
or did have to pass one time in the Senate. Okay. It's a two-thirds majority. This is, I'm purposely doing it that way to prevent a civil war from happening within that country. Okay. Mm-hmm. For those that don't want to join, those that do. Okay. Uh, 50% would almost guarantee a civil war. Two-thirds, yeah, that lot less. I'm not going up to 75%. That would be, I might as well then say unanimous. Okay. Um, so it's very hard to become just a U.S. territory. Then they have five years operating under our formal government. Uh, we are not going to adjust to them. They're going to adjust to us. No territory determines how the U.S. federal government is going to be. Okay? Uh, you are adjusting to our our laws, our legislation, et cetera. So then after that five years, you have to have a citizenry that can converse in the, the language of the country that they're joining. In our case, it just so happens to be English. If it, if it could have been Spanish at one time in our country, but it's English. I believe this is necessary so that I believe that a simulation is absolutely crucial. Um, it doesn't have to be the first generation. First generations normally don't assimilate. They try to, um, but normally they don't. But you have to, that would show that they really, I put that in as as them then saying, yeah, we are really serious about joining your country. We have not taught our, our now there are some countries that English is already um, their primary language. Okay. Um, but then again, I have after you even achieve that, I can come and say, Another referendum to become a state. You have to, again, have two-thirds majority. And then um, I come back with the other one is about the states, but it was also about uh, territories. Okay, you're a U.S. territory. You don't like it. You, you you joined us. Boy, this is not what we bargained for. This is not – I don't like how this country runs. Well, you only need a simple majority to leave us. Okay? I'm – in this country, there's a phrase, love it or leave it. Okay? And I think that should apply to the states. Um, if a state does not like being part of the United States, okay, leave. Okay. Do I think it's going to happen? No. The one that's most likely to happen is New Hampshire because there's a whole bunch of libertarians that are going are trying to get people enough to go there and succeed from the United States. Truth of the matter is New Hampshire leaves the United States and we won't even know that they're gone. Okay. Yeah. And they're going to be kissing our ass because we don't need them. They need us. We can just go, okay, all of our, all the borders to your country are now, good luck with uh, Canada. We'll just shut them on down. Okay? So, I mean, but also, again, in, in, there is a route to leave if you want to leave. It's mainly for U.S. Ter- countries that join as a territory who regret buyer's remorse and they want to leave. Here's a simple way for you to leave. Because otherwise, if they if a fifty percent, if I had two thirds that they had to leave, well, once they have a simple majority, that's civil war mm-hmm. at that time. So I'm preventing a civil war, uh, basically within that. Okay, well, so we have basically a civil war within that territory from happening by requiring a much higher bar to join us twice. Okay, in addition to another one, they have to know the language, but also lower bar for to leave. So you, you didn't like it. There you go. Now, as far as um, a poor country joining us, again, we're the world's largest economy, okay? Those countries are poor, by and large, because of corrupt politicians. Um, 
not that we don't have corrupt politicians ourselves. Okay, we have we have our our share, but um, our system of government comes into effect there. Capitalism comes into effect there. There are no trade. We don't have trade barriers between the states. There will not be a trade barrier between this state and that new state. There won't be a trade barrier between this our state and a territory. There are no trade barriers between um, of our between our uh, U.S. territories. Okay, so. Um, could the, the, the poorest nations join? Yes, I hope they do. Okay. Um, we're a capitalist country. I think oh, that opens on up. Just think of the businesses. Think of McDonald's. Well, McDonald's is probably already there. But other other businesses will enter a country if they became a, a state of a, uh, a one of our states or just U.S. territory with a potential for being a state. Now all the, the barriers are done. We we the businesses know the laws that they're operating because they're already operating in the United States. They'll just flood that country. Their their economies will just soar. I mean, I personally predict that. I hope the poorest, worst country in the world joins us, and then we turn it around, and the other countries go, "Holy shit!" And our country will prosper. Okay, by turning that country around, our country will prosper. The world will prosper by turning that country around and their citizens will prosper. Our citizens will prosper. Capitalism rises all boats. Okay. So I don't think there's a problem. Uh, you know, um, someone once said, well, what if Ukraine were to have a vote and vote to join the United States? Well, I tell you what, the war in Ukraine would end in that moment. <laughs> Russia, <laughs> Russia would never, and then we just turn back and said, "Yeah, just get the get the fuck out of those territories, those those provinces, out, out." And Russia would, "Okay, boss, okay, boss." I mean, they wouldn't have an option. Okay, the Soviet Union is a, a well, the Soviet Union was a sham. Okay, it was never a superpower. It was a country that could that convinced the world that they were a superpower. You know, mm. I mean, they literally had missiles that were running off of. Uh, computer chips that they stole took out of computer games that we they bought in mass from us. That's how much of a joke they are. All of our missiles, computer chips are EMP proof. No, theirs aren't. Okay. So, I mean, <clears throat> if Ukraine were to join, uh, it, the war would be over. Period. Well, is Russia going to now attack the United States? They don't. With what? Okay, mm. you know, there's a, n- nuclear missiles. They don't. They, yes, they have them. They're completely meaningless. Okay, so let's say a country, I mean, a state like California or Texas votes mm-hmm. to leave uh, America. You know, they have monumental. Uh, they're pretty big economies, and they have a mm-hmm. lot of people there. So if they vote to leave, wouldn't that affect our economy as well? It would. It would. Um, but the reality is they won't. I mean, there are some loud mouths in both of those countries. I want to succeed. There are tiny, tiny minority. There have been polls. Oh, would you like to succeed? Yeah. Some, oh, yeah, i like to succeed. But when you actually go back to them, and see the polls where you lay out the consequences of succeeding from the country. The approval goes down to zero. You know, 
statistically zero. Yes, there are some that still say yes, but we're like, oh yeah, okay, uh, California, yeah, yeah, okay. You want any of our water? Without our water, your crops uh, die, okay? Mm -hmm. Oh, you want to transport your goods in our country. Okay, we're going to have tariffs for anything that comes out of your country into ours. And some of those products we, we just don't want to have. Now, we're just going to say, nah, we don't need any of your oranges. We have Florida. We're good. We're, we're, we're solid on oranges, okay? And you don't think America is going to be vindictive with it? Oh, yeah, it's going to be vindictive with them. So they're going to, their economies will crash. Texas kind of crash, California crash. Oh, Hollywood, you want to be, oh, well, you see, <laughs> I'm sorry, but we might just bring up out saying that we will only allow 10 films a, a year to come from California. A lot of countries do that, by the way. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And would America be vindictive? <laughs> if you don't know America, you're not, America can be vindictive. No, whenever they do the superficial poll, would you like to succeed from the country? Yeah, they're upset because all oh, the president, the, not the president they want to be. It's just like the bullshit of all these celebrities. I'm going to leave the United States if Trump becomes president. Yep. And do they? None do. Okay. All bluff, bluffer. Um, bluster. All bluster. All, all hot air. Because when it comes to it, I, there are a lot of young people that hate America. And the thing I tell them is, See the world. See the world. There are blacks who hate America. I say, ah, go over to China. Just, just go over and visit China for a weekend. You'll be coming back. Holy shit, that place is racist. Okay? They have signs that says no blacks allowed. And yeah. by the way, it's completely legal. Mm -hmm. Okay? I mean, so many of the people that are anti-America have never been outside of America. So many people that want communists have never been in a communist country. Okay. My best friend in, in college was from Pakistan, raised in Saudi Arabia. He absolutely loathed these uh, kids that were hanging out communist leaflets, et cetera. He comes to have you been in the communist country? Oh, no. I have. Have you? You know, and then he just tells them what it's like to be in an actual communist country. And oh, you're just lying. You're telling the guy that has actually been to a communist country, you've never been to a country, and you're calling him the liar? Okay, go and see the country. I honestly believe one of the best things in America, if we want to get rid of all these anti-American uh, youngsters, I say we'll have them just go and um, give them a tour of the world, then have them come back, and they'll be like, holy shit, we got a good here. Yeah, we have a good here. Okay, we fought for everything we have here. Nothing nothing came easy here. British didn't say, oh, you don't want to be with them? Okay, well, fine, we'll leave you alone. You know, good luck, you know. Um, the British wanted to be wanted to help the southern states during the Civil War. Okay, they really did. They hated us. It wasn't until much later that America and Britain loved each other. They hated us. The reason why they couldn't was, well, they'd already abolished slavery in the United Kingdom, so they couldn't support the South, and still because well, it was all about slavery, and so that's why they didn't. France didn't. Because they were not the superpower they once were when they were helping out the Revolutionary War. This is Napoleon's era, and not even the original Napoleon. And they just weren't. And we threatened war with them. If you side with the South, we'll 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 attack you. Um, so, anyways, um, I don't. Theoretically, could there be states that would leave? Yes. Good luck with them. Um, I don't think there will be because it takes a, a majority of people to say, "Yeah, I want to leave the United States." And I just don't see that happening, even in California, even 
in New New Hampshire. Um, but it's still there. Another thing that happens with the section, the last section, is in our country's history, we've had dirty politics on what kind of territories become a state. Utah is a perfect example of this. In our Constitution and Bill of Rights, we have freedom of religion. Okay, kind of important. Okay. We didn't care. We told Utah you can't be a a, a state. It was Utah territory. You can't be a territory until you outlaw polygamy, which is a core tenet of their religion. They eventually want to be a state, so they outlawed polygamy. They went against their own religion, and we took him in. California's a size as it is because they had gold. And they said, you take us as is. We wanted to break, I think, up to four different states. California, we wanted to break them. They said, no, 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 no. All or nothing. All or nothing. We And we'll take this part of the Rocky Mountains. <laughs> they, they said, here it is, just like Texas, all or nothing. No, he you take all of Texas or you take none of Texas. And um, and there are other deals that we're going through. You read about after the third after the Revolutionary War, how the states were created and how some people they want to just draw a straight line from the state board right across. I mean, uh, the Virginia would have just been this gigantic band all across the country. And Again, Congress going, oh, no, no, we're not, we're not doing that shit. So we started breaking it on up. I think at one time you only need 20,000 residents in a territory to petition and become a state. Um, so I just take out the dirty politics, the ambiguity, but also making it in really hard to become a state. I mean, you look at that. That's You ask any politician about getting that to get elected, they would just no. You know, um, so I'm making it very hard to them to join, but I'm also uh, offering out every country that does join. And I believe the rule. I'll tell you what, let me, uh, I just have a couple more questions sure. and then we can go ahead and wrap it up. Do you think it's important for our country to like expand and start like, you know, becoming bigger? Is that one reason why you have that in there? Um, think that's... Not really. Yeah. Um, I have, I have it in there to provide uh non-dirty politics ways for for um, our countries to join our nation is upfront, is is not hidden, is is not misunderstood. Here it is. Um, I think there's a benefit for the United States becoming larger. I think the larger the United States becomes, the less and less uh, world war would happen. It would just it just becomes impossible to take us out. Uh, we are an isolationist country except for our federal politicians who want to have influence around everywhere. So they say, look what I did. Look what I did. I, I helped out those people in that poor country. I sent them money. I sent your money. And, I, and you, you better itemize that $600 donation and the gift you got. Um, so, I mean, it's just, uh, anyways. <laughs> I got you. So basically everything we talked about, I mean, this is pretty much kind of a, a radical restructuring of our mm -hmm. government. What or when I say radical, I don't mean like in a bad way. I mean just in a it's a okay. different it's yeah. A so dramatic my way. yeah dramatically. My question is what are the chances of this actually happening? Do you think it's is this something that could happen? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Why do you I'll think tell that? You why. <laughs> because right. I do not play to the good nature of politicians. Not at all. I don't believe politicians 
by and large, are good. There are some exceptions, Ron Paul, Rand Paul, Tom Massey. Um, I played it a bad nature. Politicians want power. That's how we got in this mess in the first place. The federal politicians wanted power. Okay, what do I, what my amendment turns to the state saying, hey, would you like more power? Governor, would you like to have two votes in the U.S. House or U.S. Senate? Hey, U.S. State Assembly members, would you like not to be on the sidelines when there's something happens nationally or internationally? Would you like power? I'll give you power in the U.S. House of Representatives. But I also turn around, U.S. Senators. Okay, right now they're one of 100. The only thing they have to do is take out the governor. They not only have double their power in the U.S. Senate, they have the power of the governorship. It's all about power, power grab. And look at them. Do they think they can take out the governor? Darn right, they can take out the government. First of all, you can't be a, a politician without an insanely large ego, okay? Yeah. Uh, for the slings and arrows that would be thrown at you, you you have to be bulletproof. Your ego has to be bulletproof. They already won a statewide election. That's how they became U.S. senator, same as the governor, okay? Well, I go in that. In fact, probably that U.S. senator is probably more well-known within their state than the governor is, okay? So they already know they can win a state election. Their ego, ah, I can take it. Look at the House of Representatives. Right now, there are six states with only one U.S. House of Representative. Well, that means he, that person had to win a statewide election to become that U.S. House of Representative. Does he or she think he can take out or, um, the governor and become governor? Darn right they can. Again, massive egos. There are seven states with two U.S. House of Representatives. Well, you've already won half the state. Was how hard will it be winning the other half of the state? You've already won half of it, okay? Then there are two states that have three U.S. House representatives. Well, you've already won a third of the state. Pretty good odds. Go to Las Vegas. The are fantastic odds. And I'll go one more. There are six states with uh, four U.S. House representatives. You want a quarter of the state winning the whole state? Good odds. Well, right there, that you add them on up, that's 21 states that would be in favor of this because they want more power, the politicians. Out of the House of Representatives, that means 50 House of Representatives. That's more than 11% of all members of the U.S. House of Representatives. But here's the other thing, too, is there's a thing called a constitutional convention. Okay, This is part of our Constitution. Just like the amendment process is part of our Constitution, so is a constitutional convention, which enables the states to call it. They do not need the permission of the president or Congress to call constitutional conventions done by the states. That is a threat that many states have used against Congress time and time again to get them to pass legislation that the states want. What we'll call a constitutional convention. Boy, I hope that's the, you better hope that's the only thing we change because the biggest threat for always been with the constitutional convention to get the Congress to go along with what states want to go is, oh yeah, we'll pass uh, term limits if we have a constitutional convention. Think about that, fat boy. And that's, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll let you do that. That's the threat that the states have always used against Congress. Because, oh, yeah, we'll pass it and we'll pass term limits because a lot of states already have term limits. So you have a situation where the states can cause, call for a constitutional convention. You have the U.S. senators. Well, they don't give a shit. They want more power. They think they can take out the governor, just one guy. And they probably think, oh, he's a jerk anyways. You know, that fat boy, his time has come. And that's not even talking about the states that have term limits on their governors. That government might not be able to even run again. Okay, so now you have two U.S. senators. And look at what I've done for in, in America, unless you are someone special, super special. The route to the presidency is one of two ways. 
either through the U.S. Senate or the governorship. Are there exceptions? Yes, Trump is an exception. But how many multi-billion dollar worldwide celebrities are there? Not that many. Eisenhower, Grant, George Washington became president because they were the commander-in-chief for their wars that they had gone through, okay? Uh, Colin Powell was, people were trying to get him to run after the uh, the first Iraq war, part one, okay? And and he might have won. He didn't want it, okay? But but he actually became part of the, of the Bush's White House afterwards. Um, so the only route is to get to there is governorship or U.S. House of Representatives. Well, I just did something really nice to them. I eliminate two-thirds of their competition because now there's only 50 of them. Because the governor is also the House of Representatives. Again, they want power. They all want to be in the White House. They all think they can be in the White House. They all think they're qualified. Every governor thinks he would be a great U.S. president. I've never heard of a governor that says, no, nah, it would not be great. Because it would also be political suicide for them to say that because, well, then uh, why, why do you think you'd be a governor? Isn't, he, isn't that also being a chief executive? So... For them, it's all, I play to their bad natures, power grab. The states want power. I offer them power. Here's power. I take out one of the chambers of, of the Senate because I offer the Senate power. With even in the House of Representatives, well, some of the members, they're going to be running for their governorship themselves. Okay, so 10%, 11% of them are already like, hey, I'm already, you know, hi, would you like to run my donation for governorship? Okay, so then you have like, you know, 98, 89%. Might not be, but then you have the threat of the con- uh, of a conventional uh, constitutional convention, and they don't have the support of the U.S. Senate, so they'll fold. And and again, the 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 states can just go, yeah, we like this. Oh, we'll have a constitutional convention, you know, and we don't care what Congress says or the president says. We can do that, and Congress is not going to give them any lip because oh yeah, really? Oh, we're putting in term limits. Oh, and also, we're also putting right now that all current members of the of, the, of Congress can no longer run for re-election, and they could. Okay, mm-hmm. they get to write over. So, do I think it has a chance? Oh, yeah. I'll, the only thing I need to get is up to a level to where people hear this. The politicians will they'll hear the the sirens call of more power. They'll be a they'll never stand between a politician and more power, and so. This, if I, only thing I have to do, I believe, is get up to a level. The states are, is a power grab by them. No, this will happen. Only thing I have to get is up to a certain level. Um, right now, I am appearing on podcasts like yours. Mm-hmm. I'm cutting my, the proverbial, cutting my teeth on you guys. Um, the questions you ask, et cetera, and all. So far, there have been new ones every time you have had yours. And by the way, you are the one that has, um, have read the amendment the best of all the podcasts I have been on so far. Everyone tries to abbreviate it, and when they abbreviate it, I have to no, that's not what the, that's not what the sentence says, <laughs> you know. But you did a perfect job in that. I'm very happy uh, you're the first one. I've already done ten podcasts. You were the first one that did a good job in that. Um, and I have right now. I'm I have another ten that's already scheduled into the new year. Um, I'm talking with many more podcasts about scheduling a time. And again, they're all like after New Year. Uh, once I basically have done all the podcasts I can do, I'll then pitch radio and TV talk shows. Um, 
and also YouTube channels that have big followings. Uh, there's one YouTube channel that, that contacted me very early um, and they wanted to have me on, but I always hate when they say, but, but I have to have a million followers on X on Twitter before they'll have me on. They are multiple times bigger. And I understand I mean, they want me to bring something to the table besides just yeah. that idea. Um, but like with this right now, um, I have billions and billions of followers right now. Um, if you count under a thousand, a billion. Um, but <laughs> well, I'm about to say. <laughs> <laughs> but when you when you send me a link uh, to this episode, I'll tweet that on out. Um, I've already seen episodes. I've done this already twice. I didn't do it with every single time I've been on podcasts uh, because some don't want that. Uh, some uh, weird. Some. Uh, uh, some didn't even want to send me a link to their to their episode, and I, I didn't see why not. But anyways, yeah. if you if you want me, I'll, I'll tweet out to my followers as they grow. Um, I'm seeing that when I do that, uh, people go back into my posts. My my ex account is devoted to this cause. If you read all my posts, they're almost almost 99% are all about this cause. Um, you read the my profile is about this cause, and that's why I started it on up. Um, so this is all, if anyone wants to help or at least follow the progress, though right now, the only thing they can do is follow me on X on Twitter. That's, that's it. Um, I just need followers. Once I get to a certain level, I'll be able to, once I start appearing on Tucker Carlson, on other, uh, on uh, the quartering, um, uh, Crowder. And, and then on TV and radio talk shows, um, the press will start to then pay me attention. And then it will just build. I'm hoping, because it's an election year, that um, one of the presidential candidates, or Biden, um, endorses this. And if they would, I mean, obviously, if Trump did, it, it exploded overnight. And they only have to say semi-nice things about it. And I'm not opposed to Biden endorsing it. This has to be bipartisan. It just has to be. There's just no way around it. And this is not a Republican bill. This is not a Democrat bill. The Democrats are going to benefit from this as much as the Republicans are going to benefit from this. There are Democrat states. There are Republican states. This bill does nothing to affect those things. You know, there's, they're just going to, it's just, this is just getting rid of the, dupl the duplication of government agencies at the federal level that are already done at the state level. That's mainly this. This gets rid of D.C., gets rid of the lobbyists, gets the president out amongst the people. Uh, this gets the uh, the vague terms of how do I be how do I become a U.S. territory? How do I become a state? Nope, this puts it in here. Here are the steps. It makes it hard, uh, purposely hard. But it's just that's what this amendment is about, and and I. I fully want, if, if Biden came out and said, hey, I'm in favor of this, I would love it. I'd be very thankful for it. If, if Trump did, same deal. If, um, keep pronouncing uh Ramaswamy. Yeah, yes, that yeah, one. Had a, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, my God, I got to learn how to say it. And his first name, how do you pronounce it? Uh, Vivek. 
Pavik, Pavik. Yeah, I could be pronouncing it wrong, but I just say Ramaswamy. (laughs) Okay, yeah. And then there's Ron DeSantis. In fact, Ron DeSantis, I would think, would actually probably have the most been, might be the one that would most say because he is a currently sitting governor. So he can actually say, yeah, I see where this would be a good thing. But any of them, um, you know, uh, I, the whole issue here is, is gaining a national attention. And once that, I believe the greed of politicians will take it from there. You know, I'd love, and I have no <laughs> political aspirations beyond this. I'd love, if a country were to join us, even as just a territory and they never became a state, uh, I'd love to be there at the signing of that. I'd love to be present to that. I'd love to be the signing of this. And I don't know if this would be handled the same way as bills are in Congress, but I'd love to be there where this is signed into law, you know, um, but I'm not looking at running for for office. You know, this is enough. Uh, this will radically change our country. I think my legacy is pretty much solid if this becomes part of our constitution. I don't have to, I don't think I have to do any more, you know. Um, so that's, you know, I think it has a shot. It just has to get public exposure. All right. Then. Well, hey, I hope you get as much public exposure as you can. And this has been interesting. You definitely opened up my eyes and given me more to think about. And hopefully we get this out there. I could definitely see this being a great boon to the American people. Before I go, can you, can you just let people know where to find you? It's simply at Twitter at this stage, uh, X as it's called. It's the at symbol, Jack, J-A-C-K-T, Decker, D-E-C-K-E-R. It's Jack at is at symbol Jack T. Decker. And that's the only place right now. Um, I'm just focusing all that. I hate I hate these guests that are going, and you can find me on Instagram and, and Facebook. And, uh, and, you know, I'm a marker. I've been a marker for 30 years. Mm-hmm. One thing. I'm just asking you to do one thing, and that's it. You know, if you're not on Twitter, I'd let, um, well, then that would suck. Um, I'd ask you to join Twitter to follow me. You don't have to be in favorite. Just follow me. There's a lot of people I'm sure that follow my Twitter account that just want to see how this turns out. Like, you know, I'll give updates. Um, if you post, I've been getting a lot of, because now I'm up to 800. And so I've been getting a lot of DMs. I would appreciate if people were to reply to the public tweets I make and not send me DMs. It's getting to the point where, I'm going to have to stop replying to DMs because I'm just getting so many. And when I'm now replying to them, it's really short replies. I'm sure some of them are upset that I don't give long ones. I give long ones. If you if you reply to a tweet, I, I try to do that. Right now, um, I'm trying to build up exposure on Twitter. So I'm posting to other things, commenting on other things to gain exposure. But eventually, I plan to just... I'm hoping that this gets to a stage where the only thing I do on Twitter is is reply to tweets about the amendment. And and that's the best way that people, if they want to communicate with me, uh, reply to tweets on Twitter. And I try to do a good job. I, 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 I There may come a time when I can't reply to all tweets. I'm not there yet. Uh, it's coming close now to where I can't reply to DMs anymore. Um, and it's been growing very, very quickly. Um, at least I, I feel it has. So. All right then. Well, hey, this is And I appreciate being show. on here again. You you've been a uh, you've been one of the better hosts. I've been with I have now eleven. You're the eleventh. Um, again, you're the one that read the amendment without uh, paraphrasing and getting parts wrong. 
Um, yeah, I appreciate that you saying the questions beforehand so I could read over to see where you were thinking. And I have, I have over since you did that, I've been thinking about how I want to reply to those. So um, I'm very happy to be on. If you ever want me back, you ever have a, a, a if you have a no-show list, uh, you put me on your no-show list. I'd love to come back and feel free to contact me later. Anyone that um, I'm just having a policy that the first 100 podcasters that I appear on, um, the matter how big I get, um, I don't care if I'm an international celebrity, I'm willing to come back on your show and we don't have to talk about this either. We can bullshit about other stuff. Um, right. but, but if that, well, if you man. want to have on, you know, it's a way of saying thanks to you for having me on so early. Hey, no problem, man. This has been a great show. I appreciate it. One thing, too, um, if you could, just email me a picture of yourself, because when I okay. post the audio on YouTube, I like to put a picture of the person I'm talking to. We'll do So uh, just send me a picture of yourself via email, and uh, I'll probably get this up sometime in January, all right? Okay. All right. Yep. I was surprised at how many. Um, some posted right away. Others, yeah. I'm like, there's one that I'm my episode will appear in June. Oh wow. Yeah, he does yeah. like 10 he he does like 10 a day and he does them in batches. So 10 10 10 10 10 10 and he's a weekly podcast. So just out into infinity. So sometime yeah. in June. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is wild. So All right, Dan. Well, hey, happy new year, man. And uh, happy new year care. to you, dude. Thanks for having me on, Zach. I say hey, no problem. Take it easy. All right, that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us for another enlightening conversation here on Bright Brains. I hope you've gained valuable insights and inspiration to fuel your own bright ideas. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to like and subscribe, rate, and leave a review on your favorite podcast platform or however else you listen to this podcast. Also, we can be found on all major social media. Just type in Bright Brains with a Z. And remember, the brightest minds are those that never stop seeking knowledge.